0: On local
1: now, channel five twenty-five. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson show. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Listener Charles writes in: I Jimmy Kimmel. um, Who's the most annoying late-night host? You have Jimmy Kimmel, Steve Colbert, and Seth Meyers, right? Is is am I missing one? I think those are the three main network ones, right? I would say Jimmy and uh, Colbert are probably the most annoying. The reason I don't have Seth Meyers in the top two is because I never hear of any impact he makes whatsoever. But you hear a lot about Kimmel and you hear a lot about Colbert. Uh, Kimmel had uh, Mike Lindell on recently and this was a big kerfuffle as you can imagine. To Jimmy Kimmel's audience. You know what we should do? We should ask Adam Carolla. We should get him on and ask him how he maintains friendship with friendships with people of such different political views. Because we have these calls from time to time, don't we? How do I talk to my mom? Should I talk to my sister? I've lost a friend. Clearly, Adam might have some advice, given he and Jimmy Kimmel are closest of friends, right? Are you just, do you have nothing to say here? Please talk. We love your voice.
2: I think I've heard Adam comment on this, believe it or not.
1: What did he say?
2: He kind of explains it by saying that uh, he's used Kimmel and Ben Shapiro as the example, saying that, well, you know, they they actually agree on 90% of things. They're both good family men. You know, they're good friends, good people. So he kind of, I guess you could consider that punting the issue away. Adam
1: Carolla says that Ben Shapiro and Jimmy Kimmel have 90 percent of their th- things in common. Something like
2: that. Yeah. That can't the possibly live be their true. lives.
1: He can't possibly mean that. I, I agree with you. It's just not possible.
2: He could mean it, but I don't think it's true. OK,
1: that's a fair point. He could mean it, but he may not have examined it. That's they have the totally to different views on everything meaningful including life, beginning and ending. All right. Well, in any event, um, listener Charles picked up on the kerfuffle Jimmy Kimmel's audience caused for him by hosting Mike Lindell, a known conservative. He wrote this letter. We'll see if it gets published. He's always kind to share it with us first. To hear the critics talk about how bad it was for Jimmy Kimmel... To invite My Pillows Mike Lindell on is as big a laugh as their plea for diversity. They think talking to Hunter Biden is a better example of diversity. If Hunter's last name were not Biden, he would never have an interview. He'd just be another druggie. Mike Lindell was just another druggie once upon a time. He had no name to fall back on, but he put his life together, trusted God and accomplished more than Hunter, or even most of us, could ever dream of. And yet, who does the media and political cultural world praise and who do they make fun of? To many morons in our culture, the name Lindell doesn't mean as much as the name Biden, but maybe it should. And just maybe a plea that I read demanding the media go on a diet is absurd enough to get a laugh when you consider the opposite is needed more. That is, No diets on varying opinions. Do you wonder why the new Kimmel era hosts, I guess the ones I mentioned, don't hold a candle to the people they replaced? Carson Cavett, Merv Griffin, even Mike Douglas, because those hosts were happy to receive the most controversial guests of their day who were off the comfort zone radar, including Muhammad Ali and Mort Saul and... Dick Gregory and Truman Capote and Allen Ginsburg and Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan, these were all guests on all these shows. Everyone from Woody Allen to Allen Ginsburg to Frank Zappa. Bill Buckley had Allen Ginsburg and plenty of leftists like Noam Chomsky and Chris Hitchens on firing line. No one wrote to firing line. No one ever said to Bill Buckley, "What the hell are you doing giving Noam Chomsky airtime?" Anyway, thank you, Charles uh, for that. I appreciate that little um, history lesson. It's important the The history that is transpiring in front of us is going by so very, very quickly, and i'm I'm hoping it's being captured. I'm hoping what's going on in this country, in this world, is being captured. And it's hard. I understand it's hard because they throw so much at us at such a rapid rate. It's like a Gatling gun. It's like we're on a tennis court with the tennis ball machine gone wild. It's spitting tennis balls at us. It's spitting crises and contretemps at us at a rate – That could only be described as a frenzy. It's just impossible to have calm. It's impossible to stay on top of things. And it's impossible to know what today's rules are given tomorrow's sensibilities and yesterday's acceptance. It really is. And in some respects, I've always thought that it was deliberate. In some respects, I always thought that this crisis industrial complex we live in is one that was created and architectured by design, built by design as an effort to constantly keep us off focus, to constantly distract us. Remember in that story by Kurt Vonnegut, Harrison Bergeron, that there was a society – In its quest for equality, it put bags on the heads of the beautiful and implanted sensors in the brains of the smart so that it could on a routine basis scatter their thoughts so they couldn't have independent thoughts or intellectual pursuits or concentrate so that they could have no what used to be called peace of mind. That was the tyranny then. That was the tyranny in the dystopia Kurt Vonnegut worried about. And I almost think it's here now. I almost think it's here now. They haven't, don't get me wrong, I'm not putting tinfoil over my windows. They haven't implanted our heads with sensors. They don't need to. They don't need to they've enveloped us, surrounded us in a world that we can't really recede from, in a world of crisis we can't really recede from. We can turn off the TV over the weekends. It's hard. We can do it, but it's hard. We can turn off our Internet and computers. It's hard. It's hard, especially when the quest is to get more Internet into the hands of more people, particularly access for children who want to learn, because it is a great learning tool as well as a great danger in many respects. But in any event, in any event, you can't really escape it anymore. When Michael Medved wrote his book Hollywood versus America in 1992. It was around 1992. When he wrote his book in 1992, um, Hollywood vs. America, I remember he had a line in there about people in Hollywood saying, if you don't like what we produce, just change the channel. And Medved in 92, this is before the internet – Isn't it? Yes, it is. It's before the Internet. Medved in 92 writes, it's before the Internet, it's before Fox News. Medved writes, you can't turn the culture off. There are children in Appalachia who well know who Madonna is. That was 92, pre-Internet, pre-MSNBC, pre-cable, pre-blogosphere, pre-all that. Think about how much more true that is today. You can't escape it. You can't escape it. So this crisis industrial complex, which throws things at us at a rate that is impossible to respond to or even ever have peace with, it's deliberate. It's deliberate. And it poses a great challenge to society. Where will the calm come from? Where will the peace come? I don't see it happening anytime soon. There were those who talked about getting back to a rhetoric of reality and respect. Joe Biden used to. The problem is those who used to talk about that are now the worst offenders of it. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Ah, uh, yes, the escape, the Pina Colada song, reminding Congressman David Schweikert of his <laughs> salad days in uh, Studio 54. Oh. How are you, David Schweikert?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. first of all, I want to make it clear. I don't drink, never been intoxicated, but seriously thinking you're taking it up right now. <laughs> and if Damn. you hear a lot of noise, the whole family's in the car with me. Oh,
1: great. Say hi to Olivia for me. You want to put her on the phone? Uh, Hi, Olivia. Hi. Nice to talk she's, to you again, dear.
2: The tough part is when they wave at the phone, you, know, you realize there's a little disconnect.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. How old's Olivia now, David?
2: She's five.
1: Oh, wow. Wow. David Schweikert, let me give you a proper introduction representing the don't, sixth... Don't do that. Don't do that. Representing the sixth district of Arizona. You got a lot on your hands going on there in Washington, D.C., David. Let me ask you this. What's the sense... Of uh, your constituency, I guess that would include uh, people like me and a lot of our audience. What's the sense you're hearing about social media and needs for regulation, given their continual violations of notions of freedom of speech for people like the president of the United States?
2: What what shocks me is it comes up as a discussion with activists, okay. those who are paying attention yeah. for the vast majority of others, you know, and and look, that's one of the great things of the country is you shouldn't be having to worry about your country's politics. You should be allowed to take care of your family, work on your job. Um, The problem is, is that not paying attention is why so much bad is happening. And we're in a time of oligopoly Mm -hmm. where we've allowed concentrations of power. It's in media. It's also in a lot of corporations. Um, where huge swaths of the country only hear um, what's basically spoon-fed to them. And and it's worse than that. You also have to take a step and understand, for many people, if you get your news from the Internet, Mm -hmm. you you read it on your phone, that news you're getting has been designed for you as reaffirmation for you you're not getting news. You're basically getting things that tell you what you want to hear. Mm-hmm.
1: Except you and I don't get that, David.
0: I well, mean, I mean that. I mean it, that
1: seriously. True. Conservatives don't have the luxury of not seeing what we don't want to see, and we are curious I, what the, the, the other people, intellectually think, curious what the other side actually believes is. Yeah,
2: the left doesn't know is, what you um,
1: stand for, David. They would be oh, shocked if not. you In if North, you went to North Reed College and gave a talk. They would be shocked by you.
2: Oh, I've had fascinating. Remember, I love speaking on university campuses. Uh-huh. And I've done a lot of that. But what I typically do is talk about technology, as technology being the disruptor on healthcare, on environment, and then the stare Don't feeling. I do have to disagree with you a bit. Okay. And something I'm very worried about in the conservative movement is what happens when we've become so just beaten upon and worn out because we've tried to read the local newspaper, try to read watch mainstream media and are become so offended with it that now we only go to three or four websites that tell us what we find not offensive. Um... And as conservatives, the fact of the matter is we, we need to force ourselves, uh, on occasion, I wouldn't do it every day, but to understand how the left is trying to uh, propagandize much of the public and manipulate and basically not tell the truth.
1: That's the most important work, actually. That's the most important work, because if we're supposed to like businessmen always be closing, if we're supposed to as conservative Republican activists always supposed to be what evangelizing, converting, bringing on over from the other side, we have to be able to counter the narrative, which is why I think conservatives do a little bit better of a job, maybe a lot a bit better than than the left on understanding the other side. That was my only point. But I do think our task is in conversion, being able to explain, no, the president didn't praise white supremacists and say they were good people, right? We have to be able to do that kind of thing. They make but, us work harder.
2: But Seth, uh, I also think we make the mistake of arguing on their terms. Fair. And Fair. so the, one of the good examples, can, I'll give you a simple example. Okay. If tomorrow I told you you had a hearing in the Ways and Means Committee, and it's about, we need to tax rich people more. The conservative instinct is, I'm going to get in there and try to explain to them that when you tax rich people more, um, all of a sudden, investment in creating jobs for the working middle class, investment make our society more efficient, more creative, go away. I think that's actually not the playing field. Um, why not be creative and go in and say, okay. So you think rich people aren't paying their fair share? Maybe we should cut spending, but cut spending also that skews to rich people. If if that's what you're really, if if this is really about you know revenues in the treasury, a couple ways to get that. You can try to tax people more, but you warp the economy, you warp investment, you warp economic growth. Or maybe the person that just bought the sixteen million dollar house on the beach shouldn't get subsidized flood insurance. How, how much money could... I, I'm with you. Aspect.
1: No, that's right. That's right. Because that's picking winners and losers, too. And we shouldn't be doing that. There's an equality argument for yeah. your position. But
2: Democrats yeah. lose their mind when you talk about cutting spending of any kind. Right. And it turns out it's dramatically more money than would be raised in going out and trying to tax the wealthy on getting rid of capital gains, getting rid of taxing yeah. the higher you know, higher percentage. Um, Manhattan Institute is about to publish a study. It looks like it's a trillion dollars over 10 years. And they didn't even go to things like flood insurance or those things, just some of the cores out there and think, look, people who are in that top, you know, 1%, 1% or 1 tenth 1%, do they really need all these other subsidies? So you you tax them on one hand and then give them all these benefits. And a classic one we're arguing about right now is state and local tax deductibility. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out the top 1% gets like 60% of the entire tax deduction.
1: Well, see, I think a study like that would be great. I was just going to ask you too. Can we find out what a detailed analysis could bring in? And would you would you do me a favor if you if you remember, David? Um, could you have Grace or someone in your office send me that study when it comes sure. out? I'd love to Bra- read it.
2: Brian Riddle. Yeah, Brian Riddle. He's
1: great. Yeah, he's been around uh, forever.
2: Uh, just, matter of fact, if you actually watch my website or get my newsletter, you'll see he and I just did a one hour sort of podcast. Oh, good on this very subject oh good so good yeah he's the twice. actually he knows more about the
1: budget than david stockman yeah perfect oh yeah he is brilliant. he's our guy well you're my guy david thank you sir always for checking in even if it's a few minutes late you're worth the wait sir
2: i'm sorry about that did but, you know, I love you to death, but family I, still comes to I
1: through. understand. And, and you know, Elijah it's hard to compete with hungry. Olivia. <laughs> I would never compete with <laughs> Olivia. I never would. All right. But take Olivia. me on a road trip sometime. We'll have fun.
2: All right. Goodbye. Uh, all right,
1: Schweikert. We'll talk to you soon. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. You know, uh, as with any radio show, we have a what's called a call screen, and what it does for the host is the producer, or co-producer, or intern, or anybody can um, who, ta- who fields the phone call from the listener. They put their name and city up, and often enough, they'll put up just the topic they want to call in about. So I have here on my call screen uh the person holding the longest is Lisa from Phoenix and it says evil. Now I assume my producer Lisa doesn't mean you're evil, but that the topic I hope is not. okay. <laughs> Cuz I would delight in a radio show like I like I had an hour of yesterday where the you know what's the subject evil? What do you talk about evil? I love that topic. It's an important topic.
0: Yeah, so um I work with a, a person from Nigeria. She's a well-educated woman, and she came here a year or so ago. And um, she was telling me about the northern part of Nigeria that is Muslim, and the southern part that is um, Christian. And the northern Muslims are—oh, thank you—are going into the southern part and killing the Christians. Mm-hmm. And so far, approximately sixty thousand Christians have been killed. So it's and it was worse on. a few
1: years back. It was this was a tremendous, terrible civil war before they were two nations. Oh, but yes, right.
0: Yeah. So um, I said to her, "Well, how come it's not all over the news?" And she said, "I don't know." So that's a horrible evil that's now going on. And she actually, uh, there's another group of people. There's some kind of herdsmen that are also going into villages and just killing people raping young girls, and um, they got forwarded a video of a young woman who was stripped naked and being beaten. And this group, Boko Haram, sent it around, you know, on the Internet. And so that's not censored, but um, our president is censored. So I guess calling attention, and I'm so happy to hear that you And uh, Mike Gallagher and somebody else is going to the border.
1: That's right. Andy Biggs is going to take Mike and I to the border. Uh, I wanted to say something about that. But, yeah, we'll be doing an event on it May 25th here. Um, More information at 960.
0: Wonderful. So you will be calling attention to the border? Exactly.
1: That is the point of this, yes.
0: Yeah, exactly. The vice president who's
1: in charge won't go. We will.
0: Oh, she laughed. Yeah, she laughs, she laughs. Like yeah. But but the thing is, if nobody calls attention to evil, it doesn't strike anybody, and we're still human beings, you know? Yeah. So.
1: I know. That's why. The s- other
0: thing I wanted. To- well, okay, I, let me, sorry. before you say the other
1: thing, let me respond yeah. to this yeah. for a second, and I'll let you say the other thing, yeah. too. There's plenty of time, Lisa. Okay. It's an important point. Uh, Large swaths of this polity country used to give a damn about human rights. They really did. Um, and there were, you know, human rights organizations were fairly serious. And the reason this country and other countries and a lot of states and cities built Holocaust museums and every year Congress argues about legislation to condemn the atrocity of, um, of the, uh, of the uh, Turks over the Armenians. And for years and years and years, this problem in the Sudan was going on where more than a million were killed, Lisa, before, before South Sudan became its own country. Um, this, the Sudan thing was going on while the left was prattling about human rights in America. And the killing of a million people in the Sudan because they were Christian rated nowhere in the American um, press until two or three people started talking about it. And I can tell you their names, four people. I can tell you their names. Chuck Colson, Rick Santorum, Sam Brownback— and William Bennett. Sam Brownback was the senator from Kansas, Rick Santorum from Pennsylvania, and Chuck Colson had the prison fellowship. Bill was a, right. uh, was a writer. And they decided t- to ask when George W. Bush was uh, sworn into office to have a meeting with him in the first month, and that was their topic. You get a presidential audience, you'd think the topic might be, I don't know, something like prison reform or tax reform or education reform. No. They went and talked to Bush about the Sudan. We give a damn about human beings on this side of the aisle. We really do. And when we see persecution, we really care, which I think is why we get so offended by fake persecution. We'll say something about that. And Lisa, you had another point you can make when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth liebson show. I'm talking with Lisa in Phoenix about evil. Um, thinking on the Sudan, Lisa, my memories are now bringing back a lot of things from the late nineties and early two thousands when that was on some of our radar screens, that civil war and what's going on there, of course, today too. And when I told you who really made this a national issue, um, Four white men, it was quite shaming to Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson, but they were shamed into taking up the Sudan issue. They were hesitant. you can imagine why uh it would it was yeah, it was yeah. yeah, you can imagine why and and we'll leave that alone, but you said you had another point, hon
0: Well, I was talking to um, my nurse today, and she was lamenting that um, Amazon didn't pay any taxes. And I said, well, that can't be true. And she said, yes, it was true. So then she said, you know, Amazon is a company and nobody's talking about India and they're burning bodies in the streets in India. And what are we doing about that? Is the U.S. comfort going? Are we sending aid? Are we doing anything to help the Indians? And then I'm not a conspiracy person, but you you had a person on from – there was a Chinese um, expert, and he was talking about how India was the competition for China now. And uh, Brandon you know, Weicker,
1: probably, yeah, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, yeah. So I'm wondering if how come India's got this huge outbreak of COVID? Yeah, it's just terrible. And and excuse me, but it's not the Sudan right now that's the and I'm sure there's going on in the Sudan, but it's Nigeria mm-hmm. that where the focal. Haram and yes,
1: this so. youth movement of of Muslim terrorists, you know. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, the idea that terrorism is over is wrong. The idea that Boko Haram or Al Qaeda or ISIS have rolled up and gone to sleep is wrong. Um they haven't. The only thing that's gone to sleep is our attention about it. Do you realize border customs and border Captured six Middle Easterners on the terrorism watch list crossing the border two months ago. Department of Homeland Security had a press release on it. It lasted a day. They took that press release down. It's not because those six weren't captured or arrested or taken into custody. It's because this government does not want to highlight that problem. Once upon a time, a vigorous and independent, fair and free press would score the government for hiding facts and truth, for distorting facts and truth. That's what this whole business in investigative journalism was all about and all journalism was effectively some form of investigation. And now we come to a point where the journalists collude with the government, collude with the government to promulgate a storyline. There's no independent journalism in the mainstream anymore. They work with the government. A good example of that is their continued use of what they call anonymous sources. They use this government's anonymous sources to attack people who are republicans whether they are former presidents or current congressmen. What the hell ever happened to the Matt Gates investigation? What was all that about, by the way? That whole story was based on anonymous sources at first, as was every negative story about Donald Trump. Anonymous sources. And now, the anonymous sources—where are they? Who are the whistleblowers in the Biden administration? Did there, did, 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 all of a sudden, anonymous sources only realize they could have one political party? Evidently, evidently. But Matt Gates, this, this is a hell of a story, really, when you think about it. This is this three weeks ago this started? These allegations against him. He's probably one of the top five congressmen most known to be supportive of President Donald Trump. One of the top five easily, maybe three, maybe one. And this avalanche of stories that didn't meet the definition of anything like specificity about sex trafficking underage women and bribery, prostitution, sex trafficking rings, all of this comes out about Matt Gates in a way that's kind of a head scratcher, but good enough for the media to go with and run with, have a field day with. And, and what's happened? Where is it? What's the story? We don't know any more about it now than we did three weeks ago. I will tell you, if it were serious and real, we'd have names and we'd have corroborations and we'd have a scandal. The scandal just kind of disappeared, didn't it? It just went poof. That's what I'm talking about as an example of the crisis industrial. Just throw stu- – just let those tennis balls keep coming. Let's go get Matt Gates for today. By the way, when you ask the follow-up questions, whatever happened to that story on Matt Gates? I don't know. We moved on. We moved on. Nothing, nothing more here. Now, will there be something that comes of it? It's, it's entirely possible, I suppose. It's, it's an interesting and big world. But the difference between the way they broke the story and the way they've stayed on it is the difference between night and day. They couldn't have enough of it. They treated that story, by the way, with more legitimacy than they were allowing for the Hunter Biden laptop story, which they said was a disinformation campaign from the Russians. And they banned Twitter accounts that forwarded it and they banned the New York Post for printing it on social media. But the Matt Gates thing, everyone ran with it. Everyone. And it's just, it may develop into something, but if so, that means they ran with it too soon. If not, shame on them again, but we run out of words and human emotions. Evil. Evil. Our last caller, Lisa, wanted to talk about evil. To ruin a person's reputation is evil. Not when they ruin it themselves. That can be something else. That can be reckless. It can be sinful. It can be any number of things. But to ruin someone else's against their will, to shame them in public, the Talmud says that's an unforgivable sin. It's the natural way of doing things here now, though, isn't it? My friends at Trades Unlimited are your roofing experts here in the Valley. Anything having – all your roofing needs, anything having to do with roofs. Right now, they are uh, promoting their work on foam roofs, which help insulate from our extreme Arizona heat, but also insulate your home from noise and, most importantly, your home from water leaks. I've gotten to know the folks at Trades Unlimited fairly well. I've been down to their warehouse. I've been down to their offices. These are great people. I really like them. Great people with a great work ethic, great craftsmanship, quality and service. That's what you come to know with Trades Unlimited. That's why they have an A-plus rating at the BBB and are closing in on their 30th year of doing business here. In the valley. This hot summer sun is perfect for foam recoats. Protect your roof before the foam beneath the coating gets compromised. Don't wait until it's too late. Call my friends at Trades Unlimited at 480 483 1775. That's 483, excuse me, 480 483 1775. Or find them online at TradesUnlimited.com. That's TradesUnlimited.com. Steve's in Tempe. Hi, Steve.
2: Hi, right, Seth. How are you, man? Uh, doing good, doing good. Yeah, I, I felt bad for Lisa, you know, when, when you were talking to her. I could tell she was really emotional about it. And, it. and it is, It, I mean, it gets me emotional too, but in a different way. I mean, the anger factor is just, you know, I, I was, my opinion, you were asking where all these investigations are and, and what's going on with them. i uh, my my answer to that is that I think John Durham's taking care of those investigations.
1: Whatever happened to that?
2: Yeah, and, yeah, and, and I'm joking, obviously, but I mean, John Durham. I'm I'm beginning to wonder if that guy is even a real person. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, seriously, Here, he,
1: there's one him, picture of him, right? There's only I, one I picture.
2: Don't. Yeah, yeah he's, got the, he's got that, you know, hardcore-looking yeah. beard. And the-
1: Is there a pipe? It's the beard and pipe and hat, right? There's that yeah. one picture oh, I, of him. Yeah, I know. Can we get a proof of life on John Durham, please? It won't matter yeah. anymore, Steve. I just assume uh, it's stuff. Uh, At this point, i got to tell you, I'm probably happier if the report doesn't come out. It'll probably just tick me off when it does. I know. I know. Just wrap but it up and call it no contest. Just... Done. Let's move on. I'm so I am so over that. I mean that was just so overhyped. It was. Expectations it was. set way too high, and obvious government doldrums took over. I that was my short segment. Steve, if you got more, can I ask you to hold and we'll come back to you. I do have a guest, but you're welcome to stay on or call back. As everyone else is. Zero nine six zero. I want to talk about why the um, administration's uh, proposed uh, pro- proposed legislation would actually weaken American families. When we come back, we will do so with Lindsey Burke from the Heritage Foundation. Be right back.